Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show, our Friday edition as we're live on Roku TV, YouTube, and Facebook. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, legendary boxing writer, Jack Hirsch, and we're here to cover all the sports. With guests today, Jack, we've got NFL analyst Byron Williams. We have Keith Angle back off, fresh off his vacation that we put the bill for him, and we have the Philly sports guy coming in, too, who co-hosts Posted in your place last week, Jack. And I'm telling you, I got some comments about the possibility of teaming up with Jamie Pags himself. He did such a good job, but you know, I'd never, never, ever leave you as my co-host. No, no, Matt, what do you mean teaming up, Mac? You mean Pags and myself and you are on the outside. I don't get it. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll just leave it at that, Jack, and leave you in wonderment as we continue uh, with our show today. Well, you know, contract time is coming up, and I understand where you're coming from, that I have to sign the offer that's put on the table, yes. otherwise a potential alternative. Look, it's going on all the time. I mean, you know, it's going on like with ESPN, with Troy Aikman possibly going there, Al Michaels with Amazon and this and that. So it's just, it's I'm not by it, Mac. All right, good, good. I'm glad you're not phased by it. And I'll tell you, those video clips always get me pumped. When we show those video clips just before we go on, always gets me pumped up to do this show. So, Jack, let's get into some interesting sports news before we have Byron Williams coming up with us around 8.30. He should be in. So, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, has verbally committed to going back to Kansas City as their offensive coordinator since no NFL teams have offered him a head coaching job. This is very interesting to me because the Kansas City Chiefs are one of the most successful, if not the most successful teams in the last four years. And it seems to me that if anybody should be crying about the Rooney rule, it's Eric Bieniemy. And I, I wanted to, I want to get your thought on this because I, I, I've always thought this over the last couple of years of him, you know, interviewing. Either, either they don't give him enough credit for the Chiefs' offense, or he interviews very poorly. But the thing I always think about is, is Andy Reid hurting his chances? And what I mean by that, when you see the Chiefs during a game. They show the close-up of Andy Reid's with his playbook, his little play chart there, and it looks like he's calling the plays. So what exactly does Eric Bieniemy do for the Chiefs' offense? That's the thing that – is is he hurting Eric Bieniemy, Jack? Um, maybe slightly, but I don't like the way it's put that Andy Reid is hurting him. Andy Reid's the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's entitled to run that team the way he wants. If he wants to call the plays, he should call the plays, not the offensive coordinator, because he's the head guy, okay? You bring in an offensive coordinator, one, because every team has it. It takes a lot of pressure off the head coach. And in a lot of cases, the offensive coordinator is going to call the plays. But, you know, the, the bottom line is the head coach is the boss, Uh there and Eric Bieniemy also has Patrick Mahomes <clears throat> as his quarterback. So a lot of people have the mindset: well, any offensive coordinator who has Patrick Mahomes is going to be fine. I think the thing that holds Eric Bieniemy back isn't so much that he doesn't call the plays. Because keep in mind, 
The Miami Dolphins, after letting go of Brian Flores, hired Mike McDaniel from the 49ers. He didn't call the plays, okay, there with the 49ers. So let's forget that argument. Eric Bieniemy was said to interview very poorly. I can understand that because the Kansas City Chiefs have always, the last few years, have had deep playoff runs. And that's when the interviewing would take place. And Tony Dungy recently said before he got his first head coaching job, his first couple of interviews, the first couple of times, his teams were in deep, deeper playoff runs and he had when he was a coordinator. So he didn't get to prepare for the interviews the way he would have liked to. And as a result, that contribute, contributed to him not getting head coaching jobs. But when he had a chance to prepare, he came off much better. And I think that's the thing with Eric Bieniemy. He doesn't have a chance to really prepare for these interviews and to be a coach of the Kansas City Chiefs at the same time. There's just too much on his plate. The NFL has to change the interviewing rules for new head coach hires until after the Super Bowl. That's when the interviews have to be allowed to take place. But they're allowed to take place during the playoffs. And that's unfair to someone who's with a team, committed to that team. They don't have a chance to prepare for the interview, meaning study the other team's personnel be set to answer all questions coming that way. I think that's what hurts Eric Bieniemy the most. Well, you just said the Rams offensive coordinator was hired. He went to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, uh, Mike I McCann, Yeah, right. But, but and, was after they went and, to the and, and uh, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, at least the assistant offensive coordinator, no, the offensive coordinator himself was hired by the Giants. So, and they made it, they were in the playoffs. So they had time to prepare and he didn't. What, what I'm saying, Jack, what I'm saying is this, okay? To me, if you want, if you care about uh, uh, your offensive quarter, and it seems like he does, during the game, I see coaches call the plays. I do. And if you look at it, to me, you're if you're calling the plays during the game, you are really the offensive coordinator. You need a good defensive coordinator to offset yourself. The offensive coordinator really is an assistant offensive coordinator because he's the one that, of course, does all the work for you, works on a game plan with you, works with the team, the quarterbacks, the different position coaches. Definitely they do that. But why I say is he hurting him? It's because Andy Reid has always called the plays, even with the Eagles. And I don't remember the offensive coordinator for the Eagles ever getting a head coaching job. Well, I just want to mention something with the Buffalo Bills, with Brian DeBall getting a giant head coaching job so soon after the Bills season. And you might say, well, did he have time to prepare for the interview? Yes, he did, because the giant GM is Joe Schein, who was the assistant GM for the Bills. He had a relationship with Brian DeBall. He didn't even have to interview him. That was his guy. He knew he wanted him to be the head coach of the Giants. So he got the job, okay? Like you've mentioned in the past, it's all about relationships. Uh, With Eric Bieniemy, you know what's interesting, Mac? 
why isn't he seeking an offensive coordinator job with another team? How come he's not in demand to be an offensive coordinator with another team to show what he can do away from Patrick Mahomes? We know what he could do with Patrick Mahomes. And some people are going to feel, well, anyone could you know, be successful with that chief offense. But Eric Bieniemy isn't in demand, you know, for other teams as a coordinator. So it kind of makes you think a little bit. There's also an element that people don't want to talk about. Eric Bieniemy years ago had some off-the-field issues, okay? It's been a while, but you never know how that could be a turnoff to teams in this day and age. Because, you know, we, we live, unfortunately, in a society of revisionist thinking. Eric Bieniemy may have done something a little distasteful 20 years ago, and he could have been a model citizen the last 20 years, but people are going to want to rehash past events. It's wrong. It's flat out wrong. But that's the reality of the society that we live in. Great points. On, 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 and, and especially I know the team or him wanting to go to any other team and be an offensive coordinator. Great point on that, Jack. So, you know, I don't like talking about politics or anything to do with politics during the show, but there is a Brazilian soccer players that play in the Ukrainian league. And, of course, Ukraine is under attack. They're being taken over. And these Ukrainian players are huddled together with their wives and children in a hotel right now and scared to death, of course. There's no fuel. The borders are closed. The airspace is closed. So they got out a video asking for Brazil's help to try to get them out. Now, I don't know what Brazil or any other country could do for them right now. I mean, and, unless, you know, uh, Russia decided to let them go. But they're even worried about starving to death right now, Jack, because there's no food. A very, very sad situation. And, you know, man, I wouldn't want to be in that situation right now, Jack. It's awful what's going on in Ukraine. And I don't, this is a sports show, not to make political statements and so on, but uh, it's, it's, it's sickening to see what's, you know, the people of Ukraine, what they have to go through. We're watching the news yesterday. A number of them made it over the Polish border into Poland, you know, just in time. And they're relieved just to get out of Ukraine. I mean, in what's going on, I mean, I don't have the words to describe it, how, like, sickening it really is. And it, it appears it's going to get worse sooner one than of the boxers, One better. of the boxers, one of the brothers, I don't know, I'm trying to remember Robert his name. Kali Klitschko, he's the mayor of Kyiv. He's he's yeah. wanting to go over there and go to go to war, and uh, you know I. He well, yes, he's the mayor, and his brother Vladimir is in the service. They joined up, and every able person is fighting. You know the Klitschko brothers are extremely popular in Russia. They're heroes. So you wonder with Vladimir Putin whether he's going to tiptoe just a little bit. Uh, if the if something should happen to the Klitschko brothers as a result of this, I mean there could be a you know backlash even in Russia. And there's a certain protest coming up in Russia as far as what's happening 
But uh, it's an ugly, unpredictable situation right now. And the word unpredictable is, I mean, the best word I could find for it. Yeah, so those are the two sports connections I have found with that. But it's just a sad state of affairs over there. Major League Baseball, the four-day deadline to cancel games, shorten the season, maybe cancel the season is coming up. At the core of the discussion is arbitration and revenue sharing. Um, Those are the two major obstacles. The players are not accepting that deadline, saying we could still play double headers. Then MLB is saying, no, you can't. We are not going to allow double headers. Um, very interesting. I don't know if anybody cares. I think people do. They're just saying they don't. And, uh, you know, it's just it's just a, a bad situation that's probably not going to get any better soon, Jack. Yeah, I'll tell you, the Super Bowl just ended, the NBA playoffs are going to be happening, you know, in a couple of months and all. And less than that, actually. And I realized, you know, yesterday it hit me. Wow, spring training should have begun. But we don't take a lot of interest in spring training normally. I think it hits home in the beginning of April. The season was supposed to start March 31st. In fact, one of the opening games, you know, the Marlins and the Atlanta Braves, you know, I was planning to attend that game opening day. And if that game doesn't take place, to me, then the reality hits home if the season isn't going on. But I'll tell you one thing, Mac. I think it's other nonsense to say, oh, well, the fans ever come back. The fans will come back. It's going to be more of the same. This isn't permanently going to turn off the fans. It sounds like a a noble thing to say, oh, settle this thing. Otherwise, you might lose the fans permanently. The fans will be back when the game comes back. I I, I tend to agree with you on that, Jack. Let's do a a few scores here, and hopefully I got the right ones this time. The Celtics beat the Nets 129-106. to The Nets still going through problems. Uh, Minnesota Timberwolves beat the Grizzlies 119-114. to The Bulls. Still playing great basketball. 112, Atlanta 108. The Warriors just toppled Portland 132 to 95. In college basketball scores, Oregon beats UCLA 68-63. Arizona over Utah State 97-77. Indianapolis gets by Maryland 74-64. Ohio State beats Illinois 86-83. And Gonzaga, who's rated number one, Big surprise, beat San Francisco, 89-73. The funny thing uh, happened uh, recently. Uh, Duke is scheduled to play uh, Syracuse. So the Syracuse coach, Jim Barnheim, he has on the radio show and Coach K called in. You know, he said, well, this is my calling in. But, you know, of course, uh, Coach Bainheim recognized the voice, so they had a fun interaction. But when you think about how long those two guys have been coaching, I mean, Jimmy Bainheim at Syracuse since 1976. I mean, that's close to 50 years. And Coach K, only a few years less. He's been at Duke since 1980. It's an era where coaches don't hold on to jobs double-digit years. I mean, they really don't hold – where their big turnovers in the coaching ranks – those two guys truly coached a lifetime. That was their whole career, basically, yeah, for the most yeah. part. 
at those one schools. So, you know, good for them. Yeah, you know, what do you do after you spend so many years at, a, at, a, at doing something, 50 years, and then you retire or you let go? I mean, I can, I can, I can imagine the huge adjustment that is to real life. I mean, that's got to be crazy, Jack. If you do something that long, full time, we're not talking about part time or on the side. We're talking about the commitment of being a head coach at a college university like that. All of a sudden, it ends. That's got to be crazy. That's got to be something. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just can't imagine. Well, it. Mac, Mac. A lot of times, the coaches don't want to step down. There's a certain pressure. You could have an iconic coach. He's been with the school a lot of years, but and they've won championships. But then the school isn't winning for about a decade, and there's a little unrest on campus and with the alumni and the fans in general of that team. But because the coach is so iconic, they're not hollering for the coach to be fired, but the unhappiness is there, and the coach kind of feels it. And then the talk in the media is how much longer they're going to be coaching, and the, and the fatigue sets in, a certain yeah. fatigue. So even though they don't really want to leave, they're kind of gently forced out, very gently, okay? I, it happens to the most iconic coaches. Listen, it happened with uh, Don Shula with the Miami Dolphins. You know, they make the playoffs all the years. It, his last year of coaching, they made the playoffs. They were 9-7, and seven, but that wasn't acceptable considering what the Dolphin history was with him in the beginning. Yeah. And... You know, with Syracuse and now with Duke not quite being what they were before, even though Duke, I believe, is rated like number seven in the nation for the Not time seven. being. Yeah, it's just a certain fatigue sets in where you get the feeling it's time. Listen, Joe Paterno said before he had that scandal broke at Penn State, there was pressure on him to step down. You know, to an extent, and Joe Paterno didn't want to step down. He said, if I step down, I'm going to die yeah. because that was his life. That's what kept him busy. That's what kept him motivated. Yeah. And you're right, Mac. What do you do the next day when you finally retire? Coach K, uh, and we're going to discuss this on the debate show tomorrow. Uh, he's going to be a consultant at Duke. We're, one of our debate questions, I'm going to tie in with him. So I want all viewers who are listening today to turn into our debate show tomorrow. Uh, but he's going to be involved with the Duke program. Maybe Jimmy Bainheim is going to be involved with the Syracuse program. They're going to be high-level consultants at the very least. Yeah. You know, because the schools don't want to kick them out to the curb, Mac. They well, want these guys. They want, their, they want their face to be, you know, and not only that, and not only that, Jack, they probably want their input, even if they're not as successful as they were. They still know a lot about the game. I'll do the quick uh, NHL update uh, scores, and we'll bring up Byron Williams, our NFL analyst. So Toronto beats the Wild 3-1, to one, and the Rangers beat the Capitals 4-1. to one. Now, folks, our weekly guest here, Byron Williams, our NFL analyst, former star wide receiver in the NFL. Let's get his thoughts on some of the NFL news. Good morning. Good morning, Byron. How you doing today? Morning, Byron. Doing great. Good, good. So, Byron, you know, uh, 
we, we're going to talk about, of course, we have uh, uh, a lot of things going on as far as the NFL does. And on your show, and on my show yesterday with Jack, we talked about the quarterback rooms and the different yes. teams and the different and, – and there's a lot more question marks than people realize because, you know, not every team has one of those quarterbacks that could, you know, take a game over and win the game for you. You have a lot of quarterbacks that may be good quarterbacks, might be good field managers, but when the team gets in trouble and they need that quarterback to do his thing, they have problems doing that. And there's a lot of quarterbacks out there, a lot of teams that have quarterbacks like that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what these teams, you know, New Orleans, the Panthers, uh, you know, uh, uh, even even to the some young teams with younger quarterbacks. We'll get to that. So what is the best way? for teams like New Orleans, the Panthers, the Commanders, to get a, a quarterback that will be able to do that for them? Is it through free agency, which can be an immediate help, or is it through the draft where they might be decent the first year, but you have to wait a couple of years for them to get this stuff together? If you're a GM on one of these teams that really desperately needs a quarterback, are you patient, Byron, or do you go for the big splash? I would um, – I think I'd go for the, the big splash right now. I would definitely try to bring in a quarterback that can immediately help uh, us win the uh, win the, the division and then go into the playoff run and then eventually the Super Bowl, kind of do it just like what the Rams did with, uh, with Matthew Stafford. I think it's very important that it's all about winning right now because, you know, it's so interchangeable now with the coaches and the consistency with the general managers. So, you know, your quarterback is the key plug to your team. You, you, need a, you need a quarterback that can come in and make immediate impact on and off the football field. So, and I was going to get to that next. Great point. The way the coaches are replaced now, you know, you got maybe two years. And if you ain't winning right away, there's not a lot of patience out there anymore, Byron, right? I mean, you, you, you used to have three, four, maybe even five years to build a program. But a lot of coaches go into bad programs. They they don't have the advantage that Tomlin had going into a program that was already solid, right? He goes to the Steelers, you know, they left him with a decent program where he could just continue on and be successful. Most coaches go into programs that are that are are bad or down, and they got to rebuild this. And now with the quick hook that teams have, I mean, I would imagine a coach wants that free agent more even than the GM does. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because another thing too, you have to you got to realize you got an extra game that you got to play. It's a whole different it's a whole different thing. You got injuries. That's that's a factor. You know, you don't the strength of your, your team got to be. You know, you got to consider the strength of your teams. Um, just look at the different teams that had injuries last year. Look at the different teams that uh, had in, uh, quarterback play. Those are the teams that really got to the next level, and that's very important. And I just think. You got to keep your team, uh, the buck of your team, like Tampa Bay tried to do last year, like Kansas City's doing, like the Buffalo Bills are doing. Those are your successful teams because they're consistently keeping the key players there, the key coaches there and things like that. But but another thing that happened with the Rams, of course, you know, you win a lot. Of course, your staff is is getting, uh, getting you know, getting recruited and, and moving to another team. So 
that was, a, that was a definite a lot of chemistry going on. But look at this past year was the first year that we had so many coaches opening, head coaches opening, you know. And so these teams now looking at, you know, younger coaches, coaches that are coming in that can relate to the players. It's a lot of things that's in the mix that uh, that I'm looking at now that I see now that's in that's in the league. It's uh, and then you have the COVID issues and things like that. You know, some players don't want to don't want to take their shots, and and then you have some off the field uh, uh, problems, and uh, just look at the different teams. But it's very interesting now um, that these teams are trying to do. Uh, I think they're trying to win right now. They're trying to change the, the face of their team and 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 the tradition of what the, and, and the tradition of what they're doing for as uh, trying to get to the playoffs. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a big believer you should be able to tell, especially at the quarterback position, whether it's your guy going forward long term. Mac is a believer, well, keep giving the quarterback time. To me, that's wasting a few years of your time. Uh, case in point, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Uh, Joe Burrow has been in the league only two years. His first year, he was with an awful team, the Bengals. Uh, yet you knew he was your guy. He was still good on a, a, a bad team. And, of course, last year, this past year, they went to the Super Bowl. Justin Herbert hasn't gone to the playoffs in his two years with the Chargers. But you know he's your franchise quarterback. No ifs or buts about it. You don't have to look elsewhere, okay? But, but then you have the teams like the Dolphins with Tua, the Eagles with Hurts. You just can't say with confidence that those are your guys. You know, long term, they're good enough to give them another year next year and see what goes down. But I don't, I don't believe in Mac. It's like, you know, you necessarily have to stick with a guy a few years and keep giving him time. You should be able to have a good read on it, you know, fairly early, whether he's your guy or not. So you're saying you think in two to three years you should know kind of if the quarterback are ready to. Yeah, if he doesn't, like Sam Donald with the Jets. I knew it was time to move on. People still want it. With him, and even you know, Zach Wilson, I kind of wonder about okay, you have to come back with him next year. He's only had one year, but let's say the offensive line improves and you don't see him, you know, improving a great deal. I'll be skeptical. I don't think you need a few years. I think if guys are truly, truly your guy, he's going to show improvement, you know, he's going to adjust, okay. And he's not all of a sudden going to be, be a top quarterback in his fourth year. Like Daniel Jones with the Giants. I'm very skeptic, skeptical about Daniel Jones. Okay, this is it for Daniel Jones to me. You know, I would have a good backup. And if he's not coming along during the season, that's it. Then to me, he's not your guy. But Mac, Mac keeps preaching patience the whole time. You know, I mean, Mac, you know, wants to stay the course with these guys. I'm a more impatient than Mac is. What, what do you think? I, I think I think that's a great point. I think um, two to three years, you ought to kind of know um, what the future lies in certain quarterbacks. You know, you got certain backup quarterbacks too that you have to make a decision on, like up in Green Bay and and uh, the 49ers. Those, those type quarterbacks, you know, you still got the question mark behind because some of them didn't play as much in college. You know, I, I just think too. Um, you have to make these decisions though, because you got to say, and, and plus that would give the, that quarterback confidence of, hey, this is the chance for me to make this my team. Uh, you know, I'm comfortable about everything. They're gonna build 
the chemistry around me and and maybe this is this is this, so it'll give you a good boost and and confident factor for you know leading into the future you know i think that's very important matt from byron if matt I, and myself well, I, 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 let me speak for myself i i believe that jack has a point but there are also circumstances where that's not true josh allen is a perfect example of that after his second year, people might have said, get rid of Josh Allen because he can't throw the ball accurately. They could have said that about Ryan Tannehill till last year when he was in Miami, stunk, and he goes to uh, the Titans and plays pretty good ball. So I think it depends on the situation. It's not just cut and dry. If you have a bad coaching staff or a bad team or you're not on the same page, that will affect the quarterback's play. As I said before, you know, uh, Tom Brady would not have won a Super Bowl with the New York Jets in the last 10 years. And that's just the fact, or the Detroit Lions. So I don't believe what Jack is saying is totally true. He has a point, but that doesn't mean that's totally true. You still have to have the right situation, the right offensive coordinator, and you still can't be changing offensive coordinators every year and expect that quarterback to grow in any in any way. So he has a point. But it's not total Byron. Mac, Mac, if we were doing this show back in the day and we were talking about the New York Giants, you'd say Jeff Rutledge is the guy. Give him a few years. No, but Jeff Rutledge threw, hey, threw me a couple of hundred yard game uh, yeah. games. So I, Jeff Rutledge, he he wasn't a bad quarterback. I would think. Uh, I just not think, a franchise look, guy, not a look, franchise guy, a backup. Fine, yeah, and, and I think Jeff knew that. I, I think Jeff knew that, and I think Hosteller knew that as well. But I, I also know that those guys were game changers. They came in and, and and made made, and back then our offense was just you know move the ball, you know consistently just uh, do what you need to do on offense, not making mistakes. They didn't throw interceptions and things like that. That's the key factor too, I think. But yeah, everybody knew. But. But I do want to say everybody knew it was Phil Sims' team once he got back after the injury year. Yeah, yeah. so so Byron, that, that leads me to the next point. Um, you know, Jack mentioned Zach Wilson and, and Hertz and even Mac Jones to a point. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't know what they can do, and you're gonna have to give Zach Wilson a few years to see what he could do and Hertz too. The difference, I think, in the the difference between a very good quarterback and a quarterback that is just okay, is when he has to take over the game, he will. You brought up Phil Sims. Phil Sims was in an uh, offense that was a lot of running, probably 70-30 run to pass. Yeah. But when he had to take over a game, he could throw for 505 yards, right? When, when, when Jim McMahon, the quarterback of the Bears, when they were having problems on the offense – for that game, he could take it over, and he could throw for over 400 yards. Those are the key things, I think, for the difference between a good quarterback and a very good quarterback that can win with a team. I think that's what Hurts is going to have to prove that when that running game don't work, he's going to be able to he's going to be able to take over the, the game. The same right. thing with Zach Wilson, and the same thing with Mac Jones. When right. stuff don't work, they're going to have to be able to take over the game and 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 pass pass to win. Absolutely. And, and and another thing, too, uh, you know, not being able to make mistakes and throw interceptions or take sacks or being able to throw the ball away when you're supposed to throw the ball away, not, you know, not lose the yardage on the offense. Just keep your offense in a good, consistent 
uh, playability situation for us, you know, field, uh, field position, things like that. Th- those, those guys need to understand that. That's very important. You know, you might have to just, uh, you know, be able to punt and let the defense take over. But you don't want to uh, fumble, uh, cause a turnover, and things like that as well. One thing I don't understand completely, uh, take the case of Baker Mayfield and RG3. Those guys had great rookie years. And then they just lost it. And based on their rookie years, you would think they'd have a long career as a start in the NFL. And Baker Mayfield's going to be still given one more chance, you know, next year for that to be the case. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen. What goes down with these guys? How can they be so good in their rookie year and then just kind of lose it? Is it the defense is adjusting to them? Are they that predictable? I, th- I think, too, it's, it's a combination of what you just said and the combination of how these uh, offensive coordinators can put these guys in a position. I, I just think, too, that, you know, you got to give – you got to have a good tight end. You got to have a good combination of sets of receivers are coming in. And then, of course, the running back is a key factor. I mean, but Baker Mayfield got some excellent running backs in the backfield with him. But I just think that Baker Mayfield, maybe he's making too many commercials. Uh, but somehow you got to get these guys focused on what you're there for, and that's to win. And I think sometimes these commercials and some of these side things that these guys involved in might kind of it's, it's not the commercials. He doesn't spend a lot of time with commercials. But I'm just saying it's a different it's a different game now. I mean, you know, right now the most critical thing about playing is to win games. And 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 Cleveland was in a position to go to the playoff last year, but they didn't go. So, you know, people are getting tired of losing. You just you just you know, you just got to win games. Yeah. 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 Well, there's two ways now to rebuild a team, it looks like, right? You got the draft. Again, you have to be a little bit more patient. Mm-hmm. And free agents. Now, one could be faster than the other. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? I mean, the Rams, it worked perfectly for last year. They got, they did basically what the NBA does. They get all these free agents. They're close to being a Super Bowl contender, it puts them over the top. But sometimes it don't work, like the Seattle Seahawks found out when they gave all those draft picks away for Jamal Adams, right? Seattle right. thought this was the player they needed to put them over he's the a, top. He's played well for and, them when he's Please let me finish. So Jamal Adams goes to Seattle. Seattle now is giving away all their draft choices to the Jets. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Right. So – it can work, and it can't work. So what do you think, Byron? You're the GM right now. You said you go through a free agency. But if you're going to do that, you're going to give up a lot of picks, a lot of resources, and you may have it that one year. But then the next years, you might fall off to nothing. Is that what you want to be remembered as a GM for? I wouldn't want to be remembered as a GM for that. But I, I, would, love, I would rather probably go through the free agent market because now you're dealing with more players with the experience. Uh, you got you got a little bit more consistency and the maturity of players, you know, in the free agent market. And I, I just think too, if you look at the draft choices, how many draft choices immediately make impact on these teams? I mean, you have the Michael Parsons and people like that that did really well. You have a couple of quarterbacks that are doing real well, but your first your first one to fifteen draft choices, those are your impact players. After that, you know, you rolling the dice and. And, and it takes a little bit of time for players to go from college to the National Football League just because of the speed of the game. 
and some of the things that happen out there on the football field and how quick that they can learn. That's why I think, you know, the, the combine is important because they need to spend those three days with those kids, with those young men just to figure out and see what a, a mindset is and how quick they can learn. And they, they can also learn a little bit something that's intangible, that, that that's a key factor that you can continue to build your team around. So those are the things that, uh, that I, I think, uh, but you're going to have some players that's in the third round and the fifth round that can come in and make an impact as well. Uh, Byron, I can get someone off the street if you give me enough time to recruit for the combines who's never played football before. And as long as it's not hand skills with the, yeah, eliminating hand skills, jumping, running, I'll find, you know, a couple of young men who are going to blow the scouts away at the combines, who can jump through the roof, who can run lightning quick. I mean, the combines... I disagree. I'm not... I disagree. I disagree, Jack. A guy who jumps high, a guy who jumps, it's about timing jumping and catching a ball or deflecting it. It's about timing, not just who could stay still and you tell him, oh, jump as high as you can. Jack, I'm telling you, it's, it's it's about the experience... It's about uh, it's about if you can handle the pressure. It's about the speed of the game. I'm telling you, you can't. I have people calling me all the time, ask me. Uh, I just went to high school. You think I can take get a trial? No, you can't get a trial. You got to have some experience from college. It, it's a process in football and basketball. You might can do that, but I'm 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 100 more sure that it's been one guy who who played high school football that played in the National Football League. If you look at the history. But you have to have so much, it's so much more, uh, your ability to learn, your ability to, to make the adjustment. You can't get a kid off the street. I, no, no, I agree. We're on the same page. I'm saying the combine's a little overrated. I'm talking about the guys who have a football background. Okay, okay. okay. So I'm not talking about getting a guy off the street. He obviously isn't going to be able to play the game. But – you know, that's too much emphasis is put on one guy who could run the 40 a little, a teeny bit quicker than the other, because there's a certain football instinct when you get off the mark during the actual game, as opposed to a combine, when you know exactly when you have to do, they, they program you at the combine, a combines, I believe, and they don't, you're not programmed during the game itself. A lot, a lot has to do with instinct during the game itself, even though you have a ton of preparation. I, I, just, I, I still think the combine is really good because it also gives guys a chance to, especially guys who went to the uh, least college that didn't get the exposure, and they can up closely uh, interview these guys and see that, you know, what their mindset is and things like that, how, how they perform under pressure. Because you get you get a lot of pressure. I mean, you got everything is, is – uh, every eyeball is on you. They keep up with how many catches you make, how many drops you make, things like that. And and then if you can get away from the bump and run, it's a lot of – are you able to go down and sustain blocks uh, for, you know, just your hand ability, hand-eye coordination, your, you know, how quickly you can learn, how quickly uh, when the when the quarterback said uh, an audible, can you, can you pick that up? Can you make these proper adjustments? It's a lot more that goes into the combine, I think, that people, people that don't know. And I just think it's a little bit more pressure on you. And you, and they put pressure on you just to see if you can handle the pressure. And they also get a, a confidence level and say, I think this guy will be good to add to our, to our team roster just because. And then 
the good another good thing too, I think, is the practice roster. You know, we don't talk about the practice roster, but you got 10 to 12 guys that's on your practice roster. You have your 53-man roster, but you have 10 to 12 guys that's on your practice roster that you know you can also input into the into your uh, into the to your active roster during the year because of injuries or because of trades and things like that. So I think I think the process is really good. I think I think there it's it's what you want just to make sure you're getting the right type of talent uh, on your team. Well, I mean, you know, I agree with you a lot. I agree with Jack. What he's saying to a point. I, you, you know, you can't you can't read football instincts and football knowledge, right? Some people can play football. It's built in. They just know what they're doing in the football game. You got practice players. You got game players. You know that as well as I do, Byron, that are great in practice and they get in the game and for some reason they just can't perform. But I think the combine is just another tool the scouts use and teams use to find out more about some individuals they don't know and to test what they think they know about some of the players that are near the top. Uh, pro days. I mean, there's so much that goes into scouting that people don't realize. Um, so I want to get back to Jamal Adams for a minute, because to me, this is very interesting. I'm not going to say it's the Herschel Walker trade because Herschel Walker went to Minnesota. Minnesota thought, oh, that's all he was a running back. And Dallas had to rebuild their team. And that became the worst trade in the history of football by far. Dallas built their Super Bowl team out of that. The Jets have an unbelievable opportunity here. Jamal Adams wanted out badly. He wanted to go to a winning team. There's few teams he wanted to go to. Now he's ending. He, he wanted the up, money, Mac. He wanted the contract. Now he ends up. Now he ends up. Now, that's not what I read, Jack. He was this one of three teams he wanted to go to being traded. And Seattle was one of them. So yeah. he gets traded to Seattle. Seattle, I don't even know if they signed him or not. I, I, I think they did. I'm not even sure now if they gave him their extension or not. But he ends up at Seattle, one of the teams he chose he wanted to go to. Now Seattle is a losing team. And the New York Jets are getting, you know, extra first and third round picks uh, over these last couple of years with a chance to build the team. Now, you know his dad. I know his dad a little bit, too. Yeah. Uh, Privately, what do you think Jamal Adams is thinking now? I mean, this was a he forced his way. Basically, he forced his way out of New York. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't going to play. He's one of the best safeties, all pro safeties in the league, and he thinks he's going to a team that has a chance to make the playoffs. And lo and behold, the Seattle Seahawks are now in a rebuilding process, just like the Jets were. So, put yourself in Jamal Adams' place for a minute. How would you be thinking right now, Byron? Well, I I, I have to just be working real hard in the offseason and, and and continue to try to be the player that I'm supposed to be, um, shut up and play football and. And, uh, and, you know, just add value to the team. Um, he'd probably be a different maker. And, you know, of course, he got injured this past year at the end of the season. But, you know, it's just it's just that just going to show you that you could be wrong trying to trying to make things right. And football is so unpredictable for its injuries and the chemistry of the team. And I know they got rid of Ken Norton on the, uh, the defense coordinator. So it's, it's really, they, like you said, they're in the rebuilding year. So. You you got to you got to be the man to try to continue to uh, make things happen for that for that city for that organization because you literally talked your way out of New York and and that's why I hate about these young players. I think sometimes we say things that we didn't mean that we don't mean. And then all of a sudden the whole dynamic changed. So he he got a lot of things to prove, and uh, and they, you know he got to make things happen. 
Guys, I think you're both missing the point on this, just backtracking on with Jamal Adams. He wanted a new contract from the Jets. The Jets had his rights for a couple of extra years where they didn't have to give him a new contract. That's when there was discontent because his dad, George Adams, got his career ended because of an injury, and he didn't get all the financial benefits that he maybe could have gotten. And Jamal Adams saw what happened to his dad. And when the Jets wouldn't come to the negotiating table and give him the contract he wanted, he made it a little uncomfortable for them because that's what athletes do in this day and age. So they traded him to Seattle. And Seattle didn't give him the new contract immediately, but eventually they did. And he has his new contract there. So I got to believe he's happy there because he's got his money and the thing with Ken Norton, <coughs> excuse me, I have a little laryngitis, his, uh, uh, Ken Norton Jr. has been with Pete Carroll a lot of years. I don't think Pete Carroll wanted to get rid of Ken Norton Jr. I get the feeling it was a move forced on Pete Carroll. So that's an interesting scenario, what might be going on behind the scenes at Seattle. Byron, before you go, Jack, I know the money situation i know what happened in fact the reason why the jets didn't go because they gave him all that money up front they gave him like 10 million dollars up front in his contract that's how his contract was structured and he wanted to renegotiate it and the jets said we're not renegotiating that contract we already gave you all that money up front and if you want an extension we'll talk about it as it gets closer jamal adams did not like that answer and he forced the trade Period. Yeah. So I, I know the money situation. That's not what I was talking about. What I was talking about is when they said, okay, we'll trade you, he gave them a list of few teams he wanted to go to. Well, I think one was the Cowboys, one was yeah. Seattle, and there was another one. And they sent him to Seattle. And that's all I was saying. So Yeah, he, he wanted to go to a winning team. Yeah, for sure. He right, sure did. Right, right. So that's – and it's just interesting how he wanted to go to a winning team, and now he's on a team that's rebuilding just like the Jets were, which is very interesting. Well, thankfully, Bill Parcells doesn't have those draft choices to make decisions because his history in drafting and in and ta recognizing talent in the draft has been awful. So, thank you know, it's great a coach as he is, thankfully for that. That was for your amusement, Byron. I threw in about Bill Parcells. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was one of those guys he signed free agent. Oh, there you go. Yeah, foot and mouth. Byron, um, let's talk a little bit about the Giants, right? Of course, they got their new head coach. They got a new offensive coordinator, new assistant offensive coach. They said players may be following some of the Bills already have. Some of San Fran may follow over which happens when coaches move also, which people, a lot of people forget or don't take into consideration when you build a new coaching staff. They're doing it differently than Judge did. They're getting uh, coordinators from winning teams and trying to put something together. Now, there's a lot of rumors about Daniel Jones. Jack brought it up. There has been. Last year was Russell Wilson wanted to come play for the Giants. That was his last year's rumor. This year is Kyle Murray wants to come play for the Giants. Now, I don't really believe or hold a lot of water and these rumors because he might say, you know, uh, well, one of the teams I went my go playing for was the Giants. Well, they, that doesn't mean he's interested in coming. He's just talking about things. Right. So what are the Giants going to do? Let's let's take Daniel Jones to his side. They said they're sticking with him. Let's take him at their word. But you got Evan Ingram, who's always been a thorn in my side because he's so talented that for some reason he doesn't perform well in big in big positions. And he has injury problems. 
And then you got Saquon Barkley. And I think right now he's still got a lot of miles left on him, but he's hurt all the time. Yeah. They're coming, they're coming up. They could get they probably could get some value for these two guys. What do you think the Giants should do if you were the GM? I would try to get value for one of those guys for sure, but I'd definitely keep uh Saquon, I think, at the moment. I just believe that he's one of the top five running backs in the in the National Football League. And now players are coming back off their knee injury. He's still young, still got a lot of a lot of uh greatness in him, I think, but I would definitely try to get rid of Ingram because uh, I don't think he played with confidence. I, I just think he's he's inconsistent, and uh, you got to move on from some of these guys. And sometimes it's good for both the, the player and the team to, to move on, just to make sure that you can change the dynamic and change some have some new blood in, in the atmosphere. So I I I, th- I think uh, Barkley is a is a is a player that I still have to you know value as someone I would want on my offensive side of football. Because running backs, you know, if you look at the running back, we talked about this with, with Jeff Coat. Running backs, when they get to up from 22 to 28, I think they're real valuable. But when you get 28 and getting towards that 30 mark, you know, seeing like running running backs value dec- decline and decrease. So and then and, and now these teams are using running backs a lot different. You know, you you see the they're interchangeable with the two good running backs. Um and it changed the momentum to get a defense a different look as well. So it's it's a, it's something about having two good running backs uh, on your on your team that you can depend on. You know, I, I love it when people say they're doing something new and they don't think back to the Miami Dolphins who had Zarka kicking and Mercury Morris and back to Dallas yep. when they had Dwayne Thomas and Calvin Hill. Couple good couple good interchanging running backs that went to Super Bowl. So maybe they're just copying what happened in the past, Byron. The successful teams did. And maybe maybe now they're starting to see the light after years of blindness. How's that sound? Um, one 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 quick question before we let you go, Byron. The Commanders, right? Another team uh, that kind of needs a quarterback. You got a Heineke, and you got you know uh, Mel Allen or Kyle Allen or whoever the heck it is that came over mm-hmm. from the Panthers. And 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 uh, you know what? What I always believe, I believe a team has to make a commitment to one style or another. It's the teams that get caught in the middle that have problems, right? I mean, right. if you want to be a running team, say, like uh, uh, San Francisco or the Titans or the Browns are, you can win that way. There's no doubt you can't win that way. Or if you just want to be a passing team that sets up the run, like a lot of teams out there are right now, I believe the teams that are kind of caught in the middle are the ones with the biggest problems because – there's no identity. There's nothing to build something for. The defenses don't have to prepare for anything special. You're just, ah, I'll, maybe I'll throw here, maybe I'll run there. I think that hurts a lot of teams, Byron. I do too. And I, I and I was to, if I was the commander, you know who I'll be trying to find get on my team? I'll be trying to get Jimmy G. I, I think he's a player that can come in and change the whole dynamic. He's he's a winner. He makes things happen. He don't make no mistakes. If he can stay healthy, you just look at his track record. So you you need a player like that with the with I think to, to immediately come on your team and and make an impact. And then you know I think he 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 can rally the troops around him. He got he got some good personnel, wide receivers, tight ends. I think Jimmy G would be a perfect fit for the Commandos. Yeah, you're right, Byron. Some players, quarterbacks, are right for certain teams. And they're not right fathers. In the case of Jimmy G, I never thought of that. That would be a nice fit with the Washington Commanders. I think so yeah. too. I think so too, yeah. Byron. 
Well, Byron, thanks for coming on. Check out Byron every Wednesday with Jim Jeffcoat on Northeast Streaming Sports, Roku, and YouTube at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Great show. They were wild. They were wild last last Wednesday. So hopefully they'll keep wilding out for you all. Byron, again, thanks as always for coming and joining us on Fridays. Oh, you guys are great. Yeah, I'm trying to teach. I'm trying to teach Jim how to wallow. He he don't know how to dance. He no, you know, no, he, no. he like laying on the bottom of the pile. You know. Well, let me tell you, Jim would have loved playing in today's era, where if he recovered a fumble, even though his team would be three touchdowns behind, he could run in the end zone and he could pose. He yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah. Yes. I thought yes. he'd be trying to he'd try to run like George Martin. You know, back in the yeah. day. <laughs> all right Byron, you have a good one man have a great fun. all right you guys have a great weekend thank you so there you go folks byron williams our nfl analyst who comes on with us every friday to talk about the nfl as there's always news about the nfl so folks we're gonna take our first break on the other side we got keith angle back uh from his vacation that uh you know he i the guy's on vacation more than jack is so you guys will be right back with keith angle and uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Major Greeny, like your aching head and stomach, you this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. I'm just a cool dude in a loose mood Until I see those Cheetos Then my cool turns to drool My style he surrendered to my urge for the snack That goes crunch It's not easy seeing cheesy Cheetos cheese flavored snack Cheese that goes Crunch. Hi, Grandma. It's for dinner. Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma? This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, 
visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. If you talk and they will hear you every single time. How are we getting killed? Yeah. Oh, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle and some other kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's the first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing. Hmm. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. on your Roku TV channel, YouTube, and Facebook. Just had Byron Williams on for his Friday visit, as he always comes in talking about NFL news. As I said, NFL news is constant throughout the year, even though they're not playing. And we'll be having USFL this year, and we'll be having XFL this year. And if you want to go see Canadian Football League, they'll be playing football. Arena football is playing football all year round now, folks. So that's the that's the new thing here uh, in sports. I don't know how much uh, traction they'll get in USFL this year. I imagine they'll do fairly well. The XFL was doing good until COVID. They were actually getting fans in the stadium, up to 40,000 people, uh, where Jim Jeffcoat was coaching. And uh, so it was going successful until COVID just destroyed it. They've changed owners. Uh, Vince McMahon is no longer the owner or the president, I should say, of the XFL. The Rock is. So uh, we'll see what's going to go on with them. I got to tell you something. I was disappointed in Vince McMahon, the job he did when he ran the XFL. You, Vince McMahon recognized his WWE was about sports entertainment, Okay. And he did a great job being creative with, you know, giving an entertaining product. But Vince McMahon wanted smash mouth football. That's not entertaining. That's for purists from the old days. And with all the flashy things he could have created, you know, to make it entertaining, to get young fans, he didn't. He relied on old time smash mouth football 
which maybe would have been fine for guys like you and me, Mac, but not for the young people out there. He didn't grab the audience he could have grabbed. It'll be interesting to see whether The Rock comes up with anything creative, you know, to get fans. But you're not going to attract people with strictly old-time football, handing off, passing. You, you need gimmicks around that. You need to make it enter- and entertaining to watch. Well, I disagree with you, Jack. I think the XFL for its first year was very successful. I think that they had a lot of people following XFL. I was on the, the groups that uh, that were talking about football, and they were talking about the XFL teams all the time. Uh, they were all taking, uh, adopting these teams. Even the Phil- even in the big cities, they were adopting these teams. And as I just said, Jim Jeffcoat was playing in front of 40,000 people, some larger crowds that attended some of the NFL teams. So I disagree with what you're saying. I think they had a very successful year. I think it was just COVID that destroyed them. And I think if it wasn't for COVID, I think XFL would still be very popular. We'll see what happens under the leadership of The Rock. But I, I disagree with you totally. I think the XFL did a heck of a job for its first year in existence. And they had a couple of rules that they had there that the NFL should have adopted. Uh, the kickoff rule was unbelievable. There was another rule I can't remember off the top of my head that the NFL just rejected because it was an oh, they, they have to run to midfield to get the ball, you know? No, 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 no. That's not what happened. That The rule was that the team, the kickoff team, could not run downfield until the ball was caught by the return guy, which gave them time to set up blocks and which gave them time for less injuries. I thought it was a great rule. I thought the NFL should adopt that. Because now you're talking less concussions. You're talking at least you still have a return game. And, you know, I, I thought it was a tremendous rule, something the NFL should have considered, but they didn't just because it was the XFL's idea. Mac, maybe what you're saying has some credibility lo- locally for teams, okay? Maybe there was some interest locally, like you're saying, but nationally, people didn't know about the XFL. I, again, I disagree. I, Jack, I disagree with you. I just I just told you. There were across the country, in, in California, down in Texas, in Florida, they were drawing over 40,000 fans. That just all Jim told me. There was probably more. Yeah, well, people really- like an afternoon out to go to the game. It's something sure. to do. It doesn't mean that the product itself as far as the league goes and interest well, I don't you know, know how many I, I, I don't know how many how many XFL right. games did you how many XFL games did you watch Jack I watched a few on TV and it didn't do anything for me really okay. well, that's 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 yeah. that's I guess up to you but I, I think for their first year they did tremendous but anyway okay. folks Not of opinion. Know, okay just take, that, just take that just I take that with the first year kind of thing too um Folks, backstage right now, we got Keith Angle, fresh off another vacation. I don't know where. I know our contract with him isn't paying for all these vacations he takes. So, I mean, I don't know what else he's got going on the side there. But, man, he must be very, very in some lucrative deals that he's got to let me in on. Because, you know, I mean. Well, I have a question to ask him about that. Yes, yes. I mean, I got to know because, you know, I'm still in my sports corner all year round sitting here looking at you guys. Well, you you just haven't got the bill yet for this whole. Uh... <laughs> I would venture to guess. I mean, if I'm wrong, wow, then you should buy this whole network that Bill Belichick has a lot more money than you. 
<laughs> Bill, Bill Belichick has a lot more money than right, that. right. Bill, now who's taking more vacations? You or Bill Belichick? <laughs> well, that's what my boss is asking me too. He said, you know, to build a champion, you got to be here. But you know, I, you got to rebuild. You got to recharge the batteries a couple times yeah. a year. You know, yes. Mac doesn't believe in vacations. I do. I support you. Mac doesn't on this. I could well, not survive without my uh, couple of uh, cruises in the fall. One in the fall. One in the spring. Or well, not the, well, late spring. I'm sorry, early spring because we got a foot and a half of snow here today. So yes, yes. You know, you know, Keith. I watch you know some programming on TV, and I always watch those killer cruise sh shows. Where everybody gets killed on these. I'm not going on a cruise. I wanted to go on a cruise, but there are too many people that come up missing and and in different countries they're left behind. I'm just I don't know, man. I'm well, just, I want to make it clear that I'm not on all of those cruise ships, so I don't want to be a, a suspect in anything here. But, all right, okay. Yeah, you know, I hear people say the same thing, and I've never been on a cruise, and I've got a lot under my belt because it's what something that we've loved to do for years and years. I've never yet seen somebody go missing on a cruise ship yet. I've that gone was, missing for you know a couple hours, but uh, right, right. Well, that, that would if you Not were, I, mean, I imagine that would kind of shake you a little. Bit. Like, <laughs> you come up, up and asking you, "Hey, have you seen this person?" and show you a picture. You're like, "Oh." I've been worried, you know, in some of the ports about being Shanghai, so I kind right. of keep my eyes, you know, peeled. But you know, well, you know, oh, you're oh. such a. You're so popular, they, they would probably get a good ransom amount for you, too. You know, you were talking about our reach to Portland. I had some guy in uh, uh, Grand Turks and Caicos with a with a, with a a Mac and Jack t-shirt on, I saw. Well, look at, there you go. I don't I know mean, if it was Mac and Jack, but it was, he did have a Mac and Jack yeah, t-shirt. at least the thought was there, right? So, <laughs> so, Keith, let's start off with the Knicks. The Knicks, of course, we, you know, we know what the Knicks plight has been. Um the latest is Kemba Walker, right? He they're going to shut him down for the year. The uh, Kemba's good with that. The Knicks are good for, with that. But the Knicks have also offered him a buyout, which he's not interested in. Um, we gave uh, we gave Thibodeau a lot of credit last year, coach of the year, all this. This year they fall, fall apart. They've fallen apart. He's not really playing the younger players like maybe a lot of people think he should. And I think there comes a time, as Jack said, you know, that eventually. If you're not going to play the players that were selected highly in the draft and start giving them some minutes to see what they can do, because you're not winning anyway, yeah. rumblings are going to start. And Thibodeau, uh, I don't know what he's thinking or or how he's thinking. Maybe he just wants to put the best team he thinks out there, but it's not happening. What do you think about what Jack's th th talking about rumblings in the Knicks organization about Thibodeau? Well, you know, it's some of the – he had a little – uh, dust up because some comments came out of the front office from uh, uh, Wesley. Uh, ah, the name's escaping me, but one of uh, one of Leon Rose's minions, right? And um, Thibodeau wasn't happy about it and fired back. And I'm sure that, you know, the front office who made these moves want to take the spotlight off of them. And the only way to do that is to put it on the coach. I think it's possible Tibbs is in trouble if they want to bail themselves out of this to me, Leon Rose in that front office is responsible for this mess. I, I don't know who watched tape of Kemba Walker. I don't know who watched tape of Fournier, um, but they're, they're responsible for, for busting the chemistry of this team. And part of it's Tibbs. I mean, he hasn't gotten Julius Randall to play the way he played last year. Um, so that's on him. And 
he's got to play the kids. He, loves, he talks about how much he loves crimes, but we don't see enough of them in my mind. And now's the time to play to find out, right? What at best you're going to get a playoff play. Uh, sometimes we don't look at. Uh, go ahead, Mac. For some reason, you're echoing a lot, Jack. Even Keith's echoing through your through your uh, your port there. I don't know why. How's that? I think we lost it. Okay, that's good. Go ahead. Well, he, he muted the mic. Go ahead, Jack. Oh, did he? Yes. Go ahead, Jack. Unmute your mic. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Hi. Some, am I echo, echoing now? As long as we don't talk to you, you're good. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, sometimes there are red flags uh, that go on. Like Kemper Walker, when he was with Charlotte, Michael Jordan didn't offer him anywhere close to a max deal, they let him go. And that's when he was a, a Charlotte Hornet legend, basically. And uh, that was a red flag. People couldn't understand why Charlotte didn't hold on to their own guy, you know? It was an iconic, you know, Hornet. Yeah. And it should not have been a warning sign, you know, considering that they did sign guys like Gordon Hayward afterwards. So it's not that Charlotte was cheap. They just didn't want to spend the money on Kemba Walker. And they saw him play every day. That should have been maybe the red flag. Well, there's other red flags, too. I mean, as soon as uh, – as uh, God, I'm having trouble with names today. So the, the the Celtics coach – who was the Celtics coach who went up to the GM? Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens, thank you. As soon as he got to the GM post, first thing he did was get rid of Kemba Walker. So he watched him play every day up close. Yeah. Too. So there's another red flag. Yes, there were red flags there, and he, the injuries were obvious. And they thought he was past them, and and would and if teaming him, they knew they weren't going to be able to play him. You know, 38, 40 minutes a game, but teaming him with with Rose would be <laughs> would work. And it's obvious that it has not worked from the very beginning. And I do not think that Tibbs was on board with this move at all. I really don't. I just I, I can't believe he's on board with either one of these. So I'll give him a pass for the guys that were brought in, but again, I can't give him a pass for everything that's going on uh, on the court for sure. Well, I mean, if you look at it, Keith, right? You, the Knicks aren't going to the playoffs this year. We know that. That's not happening. So what's the holdup with Toppin, with Quickly, with, uh, with with these guys that you know that we've drafted and, and made an investment in and that we're going to see if they're going to be the future. What's the hold up in giving them more minutes? I mean, I listen, they say he can't play, Toppin can't play defense. Well, neither can Fournier. I mean, so what? So, yeah, well, true. So, I mean, what is the hold up there? I think there's an unrealistic expectation that they're going to get to the playoffs and, and get that extra little bit of money that from – if they make the playoffs, what are they going to get? You know, one game at home or something maybe, and that's going to be it. They're going to be gone. So, I – I do not know what the holdup is. It's crazy. It, part of it could be Thibodeau because he doesn't like playing kids. He likes playing veterans. But you're not going to compete for a championship this year. It's very obvious. You're not even going to compete in a, in a playoff series if you get in it. So, again, I agree with you. I'd be playing McBride. I'd be playing Grimes. I'd be playing Toppin. I'd be playing all these kids. There's no way out, Keith. There's no way out of this mess unless they get lucky and they could draft Ronnie James and then LeBron will join the Knicks. <laughs> you no know what? I was talking about Carlos with this earlier to watch the, what the uh, Grizzlies are doing and 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 Ja, ja Morant with the who the Knicks could have had. It it's it makes you wonder what what could have been. I mean, you know, what ifs are the world revolves around what ifs, but. 
Well, you Jim Morant went number two in the draft behind Zion. So how could the Knicks have had him? I don't. They had him. a chance to move up and and didn't do it. They were going to stay in their spot and take Toppin. So they had a chance to move up and get Morant and didn't do it. Well, According yeah. to some of the stories you read. So. I, well, I'm not sure they could have. They, the price may have been too heavy. And uh, I can't believe the Grizzlies were going to give it because Zion was one and Morant was 1A coming out of the draft. So I can't, I mean, I can't see the Grizzlies having given up on Morant and making any type of package deal with the Knicks. Well, the comment you did make about there being no way out, they're right. Because why would Walker take a buyout? Why should, I wouldn't take a buyout. Yeah. Cut me and pay me. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. I agree. Uh, the Gonzaga's ranked number one again, as they have been for yep. for quite a while, at least in the top four. You know, last year they had their probably their best opportunity to to win a championship that they didn't get it done. Um, great program, uh, top tour, top four program for years, uh, maybe for years to come. Do they ever, Keith, ever get a championship? Oh, I think they'll win a championship. I don't know if it'll be it, this year. It could be this year because this year's wide open, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't think there's this, you know, last year we waited all year for the Baylor-Gonzaga uh, final. That's what we were waiting for all year long. This year there's no there's no two teams you can say that's going to happen, and it's wide open. Gonzaga's not as good as they were last year, but I don't think anybody is. Auburn's probably a little is better for sure, but they've got some flaws that are starting to, to creep up the last few weeks. Um one thing that will help Gonzaga, um, I think, uh, competitive-wise and, and, the, and the way they play is the the, the Western uh, uh, Collegiate Conference is much stronger this year than it's been in the past. They may get three teams in the NCAA tournament. That's usually a one-bid league. You know, if Gonzaga gets beat, then they get two te- They get beat in the tournament, then they get two teams in. But St. Mary's is really strong. San Francisco's really strong. Santa Clara's played really well out there. So that better competition within the league will help them as they move through the NCAA tournament as well, as well as the non-conference tournament that they play that's very strong uh, early in the year. Uh, so will Gonzaga win? Absolutely. Mark Few is one of the best coaches and one of the best recruiters uh, in the country, in my mind, and he will win a national championship before this is all over. The the, the March Madness, of course, has is, is not even started yet, but What's your idea of the, the the best final four? You know a lot about college basketball. You pretty much know who the number one and number two rankings will end up being as they do the selection. If yeah. you had to pick, if you had to pick your best final four right now, Keith, who would you say? Best final four as far as uh, uh, competition wise, and yeah. yes, yeah. uh, well, definitely Gonzaga, Auburn, uh, Kansas. And I'm going to say Kentucky. Kentucky Kentucky's basketball. playing really good basketball right now. They're playing a lot better basketball and playing hot. And I'll give you an outsider. I've said this everywhere, and they're going to go out in the first round of the, of the tournament now. I guarantee it because yeah. I, I put a futures wager on them. <laughs> Arkansas is playing tremendous basketball right now in the Southeast Conference. They're just moving up through the top 25. They're not highly ranked. Eric Musselman's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. And they're playing really good basketball in a really good uh, uh, conference right now. Interested to see what they do in the conference. So there's a sleeper for you. If you had to guess on the longest of long shots, not who you mentioned, not the longest of long shots, 
who might just shock the heck out of somebody coming out of nowhere? A real, a real long shot. Murray State. Murray State's playing good basketball. They're probably the best of the of the mid majors right now, playing really good basketball. They they everybody's shocked to see them in the Final Four, though, right? But it's happened. We've seen it before. Uh, you know, with the George Masons of the world and uh, the the VCU's getting there. Butler at one time actually got to a final. Um, so well, Butler this- two years in a row on the Brad Stevens yeah. the finals. Yeah. yeah, and they came one crazy long heat from winning the national championship. That ball was just that ball was on target. It just hit just, just short. I remember yes. that game very well. So that would be somebody I would see as a really you know it'd be a long shot, but you're gonna I. I mentioned who I see is the best final four there, Mac, but I, I doubt we'll get all four of those teams. I think there'll be an outlier in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with the University of Maine, Keith. That's my outlier. Maine. Well, that's, yeah. uh, Maine's got a tremendous basketball team, I guess. Uh, yes, yes. They they have, they, they've got all guards, I think. They play all guys under 6'3", but yes. – if they were they'd playing be, in the fence, they'd be pretty good. I'd they like play, to see Rick Pitino with Iona causing damage. You know, they that's a good – you know, there's another good outlier because he they've had a really good year. They've, they, they lost to Sienna up here. Uh, Sienna's uh, in the MAC uh, as well. They're actually playing really good basketball right now, and they beat Iona uh, here a week or so ago. So Iona's really good, though. That That's another league that – they could get their their historically a one bid league. They could get two if Iona were to lose in the in the conference tournament. But it would be interesting to see. There's some great storylines for this tournament. There's Mark Few trying to finally get over the top, as we talked about at Gonzaga. Coach K's last tournament uh, last tournament as he uh, winds down his career. You got Rick Pitino. He's definitely going to be in a tournament, and he's. Yeah. Definitely got a shot to win a few games. Yeah. There's some very interesting storylines. Bruce Pearl and, and Auburn and, you know, all the things that he's been through in his career or put himself through in his career. A lot of good storylines. A storyline that's not going to be in the tournament, Georgetown with Patrick Ewing. I mean, that's turning into a sad story there. An iconic Georgetown play. He signed an extension last year, so it's not going to be easy to move on from him. Plus, it's a very sensitive issue at Georgetown because he's their most iconic athlete in the school's history. Yeah, what's the it, deal there? It's uh, it's very similar to St. John's and Chris Mullen a few years ago, right? I mean, you bring in the, you know, the 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 huge alum who was a big star on campus, and it, and I mean, Chris Mullen was a little different. He had no experience at all. At least, at least Patrick Ewing had a little coaching experience. Chris Mullen had none. And it did look like Georgetown was turning the corner a little bit last year uh, during the, the Big East tournament, and they win, and and he gets the extension. But this year has been a complete disaster, and it's going to be very hard, extension or no extension, to to justify keeping him al- around. He might get one more year to, to maybe fix this, uh, but I just don't think it's ever going to work. And it often doesn't work within these situations. Penny Hardaway struggled at Memphis when he when he's gone back to his uh, his school. They're, they're playing a little better now. They'll probably make the tournament. They're they're solidly on the bubble, if nothing else. Um, Juwan Howard's done okay out despite his uh, you know uh, off court uh, situations. Um, but it doesn't always work out well when when the big player comes back to campus to coach the team. So. Um, teams will be a little wary maybe of doing this in the future. I, I wasn't a big fan of Patrick Ewing coming in there as a coach in the first place, but 
Well, I mean, you know, it, again, it's uh, I got to mute Jack because we're out of it again. Uh, we, uh, you know, I think Ewing should stop worried about whether they should have handshakes at the end of the game and start worrying more about uh, winning. You know, basketball come on you know i had this conversation earlier that uh, somebody mentioned that same thing uh mac and i said he doesn't want him because he's never winning why does why does he want to why does he want to shake somebody's hand he's losing every game man that's just crazy um one last thing for you before we let you go we got uh the combines starting up we got the pro days starting up um of course the patriots uh started something last year they weren't able to finish in the end but they did make some some moves what, what are you looking for, Keith, uh, in this draft free slash free agency time that's coming up on us? And uh, what are you looking for from Mac Jones? What kind of progression are you looking for for him next year? Um, well, to start with Mac Jones, I mean, yeah, progression. I mean, you're not going to see a huge step up because he's starting at a pretty high point right now, right? Can he improve? Yes, he can improve the way he moves around the pocket a little bit. Um but his accuracy was good. He can th- improve his down play, uh, downfield throwing as well. But he needs somebody to throw the ball to downfield as well. So I see the Patriots looking at, as they have been for, it seems, forever for that downfield threat. And I also see them looking to get a little bit deeper on the offensive line. And they got to get more athletic at, at linebacker. Um, it's very important to that defense that they have good athletes at linebacker. And, you know, they've got some good guys there, but. Car- Van Oy's getting long in the tooth. Jamie Collins is long in the tooth. Judon is very good and going to be there in a mainstay for a while. There's some, and the secondary's got to have some uh, some addressing done to it as well because, you know, Devin McCourty, who I think is probably getting ready to finish up a Hall of Fame career, is not going to be around much longer. Um, so there's some things to address on the defense, probably mostly on the defensive side of the ball, and another playmaker I think at wide receiver. The Patriots ain't getting no playmaker. You know that. That's not happening. No, well, they're, they're not. Braxton Burial. They're not going to do that. Maybe I don't know why, but they just I don't know why. They well, because we aren't going to pay anybody. That's why I keep. I laugh every time I hear Stefan Diggs. I hear Juju uh, Smith. I hear all these names. I go. They're not going to pay these guys, so they're not coming here. No, no, they're not going to. They're not going to. Um, well, Keith, we'll let you go. Take it easy on your first day back. Uh, we'll see you on Sunday. We're going to be having our draft show like we did last year. It's on a Thursday. Of course, you know you're going to be invited to that. Uh, sure. we'll have live feeds uh, from the Philly Sports Guy. We might even have Captain Jack there live, too, as a correspondent. That would be interesting. Two very that cool. Would be very interesting. Side by side. Jeez, they might explode. One screaming, go birds, and the other one going, arr, like that. That would be very interesting. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, let's go, Keith. You have a great Friday, and we'll see you on Sunday, my friend. All right. Have a great day, guys. Take it easy. All right, Keith. So there you go, folks. TGI Sports. Keith Angle. Jack, I don't know why I'm echoing back to your, your, to your thing now. I have no idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll correct the technical difficulty during our commercial. All right. All right. So we'll, we'll do that real quick. We'll be back on the other side, folks. With the Philly sports guy, uh, Jamie Pags comes in. He's a regular on Sunday. Talk a little bit about Philadelphia sports right back after these messages, folks. Stick with us. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second. 
A Y E R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. If you ask me why, say, 'Cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B L O G N A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack; it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 InfoLine. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health, keeping Connecticut healthy. TV channel. Schaefer, the one beer to have when you're having more than one. One reason is more than one fermentation. Most brewers just ferment their beer once, but Schaefer is fermented twice: once to make it beer, and twice to make it Schaefer. The one beer with flavor so fine it keeps shining through glass after frosty glass. More than one fermentation is one reason, but of course there's more than one reason behind the one beer to have when you're having more than one. We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye, bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Ann, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. Alex is. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions, and it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs. Visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I mean, you can see right now without LeBron, Lakers are are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate. All right, I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate. Oh, I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball they try very hard to ruin it. I'm not Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. You're on our Friday edition where we have the, our great guest, Byron Williams, Keith Angle, and the next 
guest sitting backstage looking very serious right now. Uh, the Philly sports guy himself, Jamie Pags. A couple quick promos uh, before we get him in. A couple quick plugs. We're on Roku TV. Please download uh, the app, channel search for us, and we're right there. You can see us on the big screen. We'll have live events and sports coming soon. We're also on YouTube. Our channel is Northeast Streaming Sports. Please go there and subscribe. And uh, we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook Live, our Facebook page, Northeast Streaming Sports. If you could go there and follow us there, all the support you can give us really helps us out. So let's bring up the Philly sports guy. He brings in some Philly information. He co-hosted with me last week, did a great job in uh, Jack's absence. Um, you know, he's he's very knowledgeable in everything besides just Philly news. Of course, we have him in here primarily uh, to talk about Philly sports. So let me find his banner here, bring him up, and see what's going on. How you doing, Pags? Morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Doing really good, Pags. Really good. Um, you know, I got a couple questions for you before we get to the Philly sports. First, the MLB, right? The lockout uh, is is coming to a deadline deadline for the players' union, according to the owners. If there is no resolvement of this, they're going to start canceling games. The union says it doesn't recognize a deadline, that they still can play double headers. The owners countered and said, no, we can't and we won't. Um, you know, I asked this of Jack one time, and, and I, I really thought about this for a while. I think we all would agree that the Major League Baseball Union is probably the strongest in sports, even stronger than the NBA for, for the most part. I mean, football, hockey, they kind of work together. They try to get things together. The Major League Baseball Union um, – you know, it could throw its weight around a lot more easier, I think, than any sport. And what choice do the owners really have of not just agreeing with everything they say, but having a lockout? If they didn't, and the agreement went on, and the owner said, well, we can't reach an agreement, of course, the players could strike. So you're in a, you're a Major League Baseball owner, Pags, right now. And they say, listen, we want more money for arbitration. We want the revenue sharing to be better where the teams can't just take the money and do whatever they want with it. We want them spending it on players. We want this. We want that. What is the owner? What can you really do? Well, I understand where they're coming from with the, with the big time owners. However, I also understand a little bit by the small time owners. I mean, you own a franchise specifically to make money. I mean, that's why you own a sports franchise. I mean, it is difficult now. I'm sure that the person in Kansas City is definitely not making the same amount of money that they are in New York. Now, I understand how New York's got its own television station. So they get all the revenues from that direct. Where Kansas City couldn't even have its own television station. It wouldn't, they wouldn't work because they wouldn't get enough people watching. I, if I was the owner, and I guess it depends on where my market is. Like if I'm in Tampa Bay, where you can maybe get, or Florida, where you get maybe 10,000 people in there in the stadium. It's, you know, how do I survive? How do I get any big name players when when you're offering contracts 
of 330 million like for seven or 10 years and the guys are turning it down when does the line get drawn in the sand like what is when is too much enough you know like i think that they're going to need to put a cap on contracts and they're going to need to put a cap on uh spending that if they're going to revenue share that the owners the small market owners are going to have to spend a certain amount of money and that's the only way that i can see this even coming to any type of head uh, and i don't know that it's going to because that takes a lot of give and take when you have these types of things everybody's supposed to leave the table unhappy and that's what happens. You don't feel good about the compromises that you make. But they got a lot of compromises to make. And right now, they don't like each other. Well, and I, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to end. You know, Jack made a great point. I think it's a great point. You know, people say, ah, well, nobody's going to care about baseball anymore. You get those fans. Listen, when the when the season starts, the fans will come back. It's just if you like the if you like the New York Yankees, you're going to watch the New York Yankees. If you like uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, you'll come back. You'll watch the Phillies. Yeah, but take- you know what? Some of that, some of that. When you think about the strike that happened in the '80s, they needed to they needed to have steroids save them. See, everybody forgets that part. That was the reason why steroids weren't were just bypassed and not looked at because it created these home runs which created the fervor back in baseball when you had mark mcguire and sosa doing the home runs back to back where the everything was must see television they stopped programming on espn to show sosa's at bats and mark mcguire's at bats those that is what brought baseball back because fans did not go back to baseball right away they did have a hard time putting people back in the stands. I don't believe that people are just going to go running back. I, I feel especially now that you're going to have competition with uh, USFL and other sports that are going to kind of come in, like soccer starts up this Saturday, you know, and I understand soccer is not anywhere near as big as baseball, but when you have children and children are the ones that are, are the ones that put the fans in the seat. I know, I know that adults go in there and they pay all the money and stuff like that. But realistically, it's the younger generation that makes sure that that sport is going to thrive or not. And if you lose the younger generation right now, you're going to have a hard time getting them back because there's too many other things that they can do than worry about a baseball game. You know, they've been losing the younger generation for years, Pags, for a lot of different reasons. Um, You know, okay, so suppose you're right. Suppose... Fans don't go back right away. Who cares? They don't make money off the fans like they used to. It doesn't matter if the gate as much as it does. The the, the TV contracts, the, the programming, that's where they get all the sponsors. This is where they get all their money from. People stay at home and watching baseball now. That's what, you know, you talked about ESPN stopping program. Well, that was self-serving because they carry baseball. Of course, they're going to stop programming the show that to try to bring baseball back into the news. That That only makes sense. But what it does it doesn't matter like it did back in the seventies or or the early eighties because they don't they don't they don't depend on the gate as much as they used to pack. I I agree with that, but the gate is a precursor to who's watching on TV. You know, if you have good attendance, you're going to watch more on television because people get excited, people talk, obviously. 
But if you ain't got nobody going to these games, it's likely that there's not anybody watching on television. And advertisers want a return on investment. And if they're finding that baseball is not a good return on investment, if people are turning off of baseball and turning on the USFL or the XFL, and they would rather watch football than baseball, well, now all of a sudden you got a problem. And all of these advertisers are going to start to pick up their money and put it elsewhere. And especially when you got streaming and things like that, there's so many other ways to get a return on investment that it's possible that they could go elsewhere rather than stick with baseball. Well, now, Paul, of course, I don't know because I'm not the guy that's spending the money. But part of the problem, sports in general, you have teams scattered all over the United States. I mean, expansion did that. To me, there's nothing wrong about a certain imbalance. For example, the New York Yankees are going to have more fans than other teams, okay? So if they should be allowed to spend a little more than other teams. They shouldn't be capped on that because they have more fans. That's just the way it is. So the more powerful teams and the ones with the biggest fan bases, they're actually in a certain sense being discriminated against by the smaller market teams because they have to give all these concessions for a so-called competitive balance. And I don't think it should have to be that way. Well, and you're right. I mean, I specifically the Yankees. I mean, you think about that. They're the, the most storied franchise in all of sports. You know, bigger than the Montreal Canadiens in hockey. And they can't buy a championship right now. You know, they can't. In fact, they're barely making it to the playoffs anymore. And how is it that they're spending all this money and they still can't make it? Well, that comes to bad ownership. But you know, ultimately, these players are going somewhere else. Obviously, the Mets are trying to get into the mix now with that because they're spending ridiculous money on a pitcher that's way too old to get that much money. You know, is it hurt half the time anymore? You know, but they want to win a championship. So they're taking a page out of the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees playbook. You know, the Phillies have always claimed that they're a small market team, which cracks me up because for the longest time, from 2007 to 2013, it was the hardest ticket in baseball to get. You know, where they had sellouts, consecutive sellouts for five years. Yeah. And now, now, you, now it's simple. It's only 22,000 people going to the stadium. But I... Those are, you know, but then you have these owners crying poor. Well, we didn't make any money and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? That's not our fault. You make money. Stop lying. We know how you cook the numbers. You know what I mean? I, I you're, you own a franchise. You own a baseball franchise. You own any sports franchise. You're doing it to make money. Unless you're being dumb with the money that you're spending. And these guys are all smart because they got the money in the first place. You don't find many people that have that type of money and all of a sudden it's just frivolous with it, you know, and owning a team. Well, it just doesn't work passed, that way. Unless it's passed down to you like the Steinbrenners. Bags, when, you know, we know the Philadelphia Phillies is, I mean, the Flyers are a mess. I mean, that's not news. Is there anything good? This one thing good you see in the Flyers horizon, um, that could give the Flyer fans a little hope, just a little bit. You're asking me honestly here, aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. I'd like to see what they get back for Giroux. 
Giroud's going to wind up getting traded. And he picked his teams. It's only three uh, that he wants to go to. And I think he's going to wind up getting moved. And with that move is going to come some assets. And I, I, I'm interested to see what that, you know, curtails. Like what assets come back. And how does this, I mean, I am, I'm going to be taking part of a town hall meeting on Monday with the Flyers. And I have some serious questions, you know, like I, you know, and I, I'm even nervous to ask them because I don't want to get looked at in, in a, because I'm very positive about Philadelphia sports in general, but I want to know who's going to be held accountable for this. I mean, I understand injuries sometimes play a part here, but our coach stinks. You know, our, our, our you know, interim coach stinks. It just does, does not have this team playing at all. I feel like this team quits with 10 minutes left to go in the game. Sometimes, I mean, you could see it straight out there. Sometimes it's even earlier than that. Uh, they are put together improperly. They do not have, I mean, they've got two defensemen that are playing real well, and their best defensemen have been injured all season long. So you can't, again, you can't help the injuries, but ultimately uh, there has been a problem and I've been very vocal about the executive portion of this franchise. And I feel that it starts at the very top. Ed Snyder, when he was alive, was the president and the face that you recognized every time that there was a problem with the Flyers. He was the one talking. Now you have no idea who's talking. You have no idea if anybody knows anything about what's going on with this franchise. And it's they have lost touch with the fan. And that's the one thing that this franchise was known for. It's how it got big in Philadelphia because Ed Snyder understood that it was the fan that made the team. And right now this team has no identity. They have no will to do anything and you got a couple of good players that are doing their best and i feel like everybody else is going through the motions and I, i'm very you know like i said when losses don't hurt anymore when i could just take a loss and be like all right you know i, I that bothers me because yeah. i spend a lot of money to go to these games you know I, I take my time i root for my team i spend the money on the face paint they're, they're more than happy to show me all the time every time there's a goal scored. But to come, come walking out of there, loss after loss after loss after loss, you know, and, and me not caring anymore. You know what I mean? And me just going like, oh, well, I guess that's that. You know, that's a problem. And there's too many Flyers fans. I've never seen the arena so, so quiet. You know, when we're only getting 8,000, 9,000 people in the stadium. That never was like that. And Ed Snyder right now, is definitely flipping in his grave like a fish because he would have never accepted the Sixers selling out and the Flyers having half arenas. Never would have accepted that. Would have done everything that he possibly can to get energy and excitement back into this team. Would be trading people, would be making moves to try to get it back in the, the front of this. And, you know, this... You know, that's what happens when a corporation owns a franchise. They don't care anymore. It's just the bottom line. By the way, I have to make a little remark. During the Flyers' heyday under Freddie Shiro, their coach, when they won the Cups and a little before that when they had, you know, where they were building towards that, 
One of their competitors was the New York Rangers, and the Rangers had a legendary coach who just passed away, Emile the Cat Francis, at age 95. So I think, you know, we should uh, remember Emile Francis, what he meant for the Rangers. And he was part of that rivalry with Philadelphia against the Flyers. Absolutely. I mean, after after they let him go, they traded for Fred Shiro. So Fred Shiro was the coach of the uh, of the Rangers as well. And, they took I mean, him to and, the finals and took him to the finals again, where they lost to the Canadians four games to one. Right, and that was back in the days when you know the Eastern Conference could play the Eastern Conference for the Stanley Cup. It didn't matter that you had a Western Conference and Eastern Conference. The good old days, right, guys? The good old days. So, right. Pat, you know, we got the combines going. Pro days are going to be going. Now, all this stuff is is hopping up towards, of course, the combine uh, where, you know, teams will be getting their, their close-up look at some of the guys running around shirtless and stuff like that, doing drills. Um, so what I know you, you've talked about, you know, the lines, you want the Philadelphia Eagles to look towards the line, which I agree with you. Every, every team, uh, if they have good, good, good lines on both sides of the ball, they're in every game. And, and that's just, that's just football one, one Oh one. So what do you think, take out the lineman for a minute, what do you think the next step for the Eagles is? I'm talking about Jalen Hurts, too. Okay, I mean, you guys took a step last year. You guys got in the playoffs. You did something a lot of people didn't think you'd do. So you're not going to take anybody by surprise this year, that's for sure. You guys got a great running game. Um, You know, we talked before you came in about quarterbacks and how – when you get that really good quarterback, I'm not even talking about a franchise quarterback. I'm talking about a quarterback that will take you places. There's always that one game where he has to, he just has to do it. You know, Sims did it. Um, you know, um, Jim McMahon did it. Um, even to a point, so did Cunningham. And 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 to a point, you know, so did a, a couple of your other quarterbacks, Jaworski. When the ball got in their hand that one game, they could throw for 400 yards and win the game. Is that Hurts' next step? I mean, he's a complimentary quarterback right now. Is the next step for Hurts, you're down or you're in a close game, your running game isn't working, and now it's up to him to make something happen. Is that Hurts' next step for the Eagles? Yes. Yes. Uh, I feel that it's – so, I mean, I said all year long that I felt like that he needed more body of work. And I feel like that he gets 10 weeks of professional football. And I don't know if that's going to mean it's going to be nine games. It's going to be 10 games, you know, only because of the bye week. Uh, But I feel like he gets 10 weeks to figure out what's going on before they have to start. Because that's, I think, week 10 is when they have the trade deadline. And they're going to have to start to figure out whether he is the answer for them longer term or not. And I feel like they've made that decision already. And I'm, I keep hearing more and more about quarterbacks that they want to bring in. And uh, I'm interested to see how they do this because, I mean, I heard, uh, was it Colin Cowherd was talking about how, uh, hey, four first rounders and Darius Slay to get uh, Russell Wilson. No, absolutely not. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. You know, I'm not giving up four first rounders. I tell you right now, because everybody knows where he wants to go, I would maybe give up one, maybe, 
really, I'd give up more like a second and and two thirds because we already know he wants to go and you want to get rid of him. So why would I want to play a premium on that? Uh, and ultimately, I think he's on his on the downside of his career. Rodgers is going to stay in Green Bay like we all thought he was going to. We didn't think he was going to go anywhere. Garoppolo, I think, is a good manager, but I got Kurtz. Why would I need another manager? Uh, and so I, I am, to answer your initial question, I feel like that out of the draft, I want to just see, I, I want to see the defensive side of the ball. I want to see the defense get a lot stronger uh, in any way that it can. Uh, I would also say that in free agency, you know, at first I was really opposed to seeing Calvin Ridley in, in Eagle Green, but after thinking about it more, you know, more clearly, he would come in here as the number two receiver to Devonta Smith. And I feel like that that's where he thrived. He couldn't be a number one by himself once Julio Jones was gone, but he could be a great number two. And then all of a sudden you would have, you know, Smith is a number one, Ridley is a number two, Quez Watkins is a number three, and then Jalen Rager is a number four, because I don't think we're going to get rid of him either, as many fans would mind, wouldn't mind would mind getting rid of him. I don't think you get rid of him. He's still an asset, and I think he's going to come – he's going to play a lot better this Cats year. Ridley had emotional issues with the Falcons. It wasn't that he wasn't capable of taking over number one. You know, as far as his game went, he just had emotional issues, so he had to take the year off. So that should be understood. Well, no, and I understand that, but he did play a few games. And he wasn't he wasn't the same Calvin Ridley. And I think he understood that. Now I don't I can't say what the gentleman was going through. You know what I mean? Obviously he had to walk a mile in his shoes and I couldn't. However, the play on the field did show something very specific that he was not able to step in the shoes of Julio Jones just like that. And that was the one thing that I saw immediately in the four or five games that he played. And that he definitely is a better number two than is a number one because he's not able to get open on the great cornerbacks. He was able to get open on the secondary cornerbacks most of the time. And I feel like that that's a difference. There's a huge difference on that. So the you know number one always pulls out the best cornerback, and it's it's rare when a team has got two great cornerbacks, and that's you know that's where he was able to thrive in Atlanta, and I feel like that's what he would be able to do here in Philadelphia with the great number one, as I think Devonta Smith is going to turn out to be. I think so too. I think he's going to be a heck of a receiver for you guys for years if he stays healthy. So Pags. That's it for your, your spot here. We'll see you Sunday. As I told Keith before, of course, we're going to have the big draft show we had last year. I know you're going to be live somewhere down there. Um, I've talked to Captain Jack about being down there, too. I guess he's going to be down there, too. Um, it be interesting to get you both on feeds once, you know, once this thing kicks off and starts going. It'll be both you colorful uh, young men down there doing your thing. So uh, we'll see you on Sunday. And it's going to be this week in sports, so it's not going to be anything just NFL or anything. I'll just be some updates of some of the biggest stories uh, that we had during the week. We'll get all your comments on like that. How, like how how James Harden plays. I was going to like, say that, Mac. No mention of James Harden. To yeah, I, I, I got this whole yeah, thing. I, 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 I heard about the Sixers. 
Yeah, uh, it's saw... okay that the union start this Saturday. I didn't even mention MLA, you know, Major League Soccer, which definitely does not get any type of love from this show whatsoever. But to not mention that James Harden starts oh, tonight. Nah, and I don't get a match playbook. It baffles me. It baffles uh, me. And he's getting on the court before uh, Ben Simmons. You know, ben Simmons, when is Ben Simmons going to start playing? Mags, I saw the Philadelphia 76er thing behind you. I knew you'd say something if I said that's all I was going to ask you. And, of course, Jack feeds right into it. So what's going to happen tonight? James Harden plays. What are you going to do? You're going to win? You're going to lose? Is he going to play good? I mean, what's going to happen? We're playing with- Minnesota, and I think that we win this game hands down. Anyways, it didn't matter whether he played or not. Uh, I have been a big fan of watching him coach this team from the sideline that he has already had an impression on some of these players. Uh, Maxi specifically, uh, where he was able to kind of show him a few things right off the bat, and Maxi took to it like a sponge and started to do it. And it helped them win a game against the Bucs. He taught, he taught Embiid how to do the step back, you know, and, and he started to do that a little bit. Those are the types of things that you didn't see from Harden on these other teams where he's actually engrossing himself in the team. And I don't think that that's something that's happened for a long time. Not since not since Harden was playing for a championship down in Houston. You know, and I feel that, that he literally carried that team, but he helped that team. He was pushing that team. He was coaching that team up. I feel like that he's been doing that already here mm-hmm. and that they look up to him in a way that these other teams didn't. And I feel like that that's a little bit of ego and a lot of talent and that he needs that a little bit. He needs because he also thrives off of the off of the want of being that guy. And he doesn't have to be the man. He just needs to be one of the men. And I think that this is going to be something. This is going to be the oh, start. Oh, no, Pax, he's got to be a major impact player. It's not a question of fitting in. Him and Ampy have to be such an overpowering one-two punch for the Sixers to win an NBA championship. This isn't a question of Harden fitting in. They've got to adjust to Harden and Ampy, the whole team, point blank. Uh, well, and I think that we see that tonight. We see that that's what we're going to be all paying attention to this evening, where we're going to see that it's, you know, the the process is coming to the point now where it's time to either, you know, time to take it up to the next level. It's time to go try to win a championship. And it's really right this year. I definitely feel like it's Eastern Conference finals or bust. And if they make it to the finals, the only team I feel like they can't run with is Phoenix. I feel like Phoenix would win that series easily, where every other team out in the West, including the Warriors, I feel that they would have a good chance against. Not a great chance, but a good chance. I feel like that against the Warriors, they'd have like a 40% chance of winning that series, where I feel like that they'd have like a 20% chance of beating the Suns. And I feel like everybody else in the West, like Memphis and everybody else, they would. It's it's a it's a fifty fifty. There's you, no there's nobody out there that scares me. And there's really no East that scares me either. Oh, stop it! Stop it! The Bucks are the favorites. 
You still got to be. Oh, they got the papers. And, and we got to, that's why I say the Easter Conference Finals is definitely where we got to wind up at. And we got to be able to go up against them toe to toe. If we yes. get swept in the Easter Conference Finals, it's a loss. We I have agree. to be able to go toe to toe with them. And they showed a little bit that they had some resiliency. They beat Milwaukee. They got the monkey off their back. They got, they beat Milwaukee in Milwaukee. So now is time to be. Wow, you guys aren't even talking about the Nets. Amazing. You're like discounting. You're the only one that wants to talk about the Nets. Trust me, Jack. You're the only one that wants to talk about you know, it. But, but when is everybody going to play? When is anybody going to play? You got to play a few come games. Playoff time. They'll be there come <laughs> playoff time. Yeah, but yeah. you got to have some type of symbioticness that's going on. If you don't get out there with them and practice a little bit and make sure that you guys can do these things together, you're never going to know what it's like. And you'll yes. start making mistakes. You're going to have to learn on the fly in the playoffs. And that ain't the time to do it, especially when you may have a play-in game. I don't think that. I don't think. I mean, I, I don't think Simmons hurt them again. I think he probably will help them a little bit. But it, the Nets ain't no championship team. They, they I, I never believed they were to begin with because they just don't have the chemistry and they never will. Um so, Pax, now we'll let you go. i let you say your piece about the 76ers. Uh, if you lose tomorrow, I'm going to laugh at everything you just said, just to let you know, because, you know, all of a sudden you're ready. It's changed. You haven't hit the playoffs yet, Pax. Relax. You guys got to get, uh, I understand. get I understand. Get your chemistry together with Harden, and you guys got a great shot. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I think you guys got a great shot. You got to beat Milwaukee in the series to get there, because Milwaukee, I think, is still the favorite. But – you guys got a real shot, a legitimate shot this year. Let's put it that way. I agree. I agree. And like I said, we have they, if they either get to the Eastern Conference Finals, if they get out before that, if they so for instance, if they play the Nets in the first series and lose to the Nets, I yes. think that you see a new coach come in. Very possible. And if, yeah, and I, I think that Doc Rivers gets dropped. That he's, I don't know. I, feel, Simmons, I, don't know Simmons, I feel like he's the question mark right now. I know. I know. Simmons would play against you guys during the. This series, that oh, no, that'll be interesting if, if, if and when that happens. All right, Pax, you have a great one. We'll see you Sunday, my friend. There we go. And MLS starts this Saturday. Dude, yes, <laughs> <Thanks, laughs> make it easy, buddy. There That's you go, folks. The Philly sports guy making his weekly appearance. We'll see him again back here on Sunday as me and Jack start our this week in sports with Jim Jeffcoat. Uh, starting this Sunday format changes, of course, because the NFL is stopped its regular season um folks thanks for tuning in today had a great time uh philly sports guy byron williams keith angle all part of our friday show for you we'll see you tomorrow on the mac and jack debate show where dr paul semendinger will be joining us as we discuss and debate topics old and new always a lot of fun so join us tomorrow same time 8 to 10 a.m on saturday have a great friday folks and hopefully uh, it's not snow when we hear from. So have a good one, my friends.